nothing could be further from the truth now. And so I'm sort of the accidental entrepreneur. And it's taken me years to sort of figure out what it is I want to do. And I, I like what I'm doing very much right now. But like anyone, it's a really interesting adjustment. You have to develop a whole new set of skills. You're listening to the Merged Marketing Podcast with David Louch and Jason Hunt. Our mission with this show is to discuss all things business, digital marketing, sales, and mindset. It's our hope to empower entrepreneurs to get the most from their efforts so that they can focus on what they do best. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Merge Marketing Podcast. Today's episode features another incredible entrepreneur and content creator. Mike Ulmer enjoyed a 25-year career in newspapering and worked for the Woodstock Sentinel Review, the Hamilton Spectator, the Hockey News, Southam News, National Post, and as a sports columnist for seven years at the Toronto Sun. He has written 12 books. His opinion pieces have appeared in all four Toronto-based daily newspapers, The Sun, The Globe and Mail, The National Post, and The Toronto Star. Mike, welcome to our show today. Thank you for having me, guys. Just a real treat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've been we've been talking about this for quite a while. You and I, Mike, um, we've been in different networking groups in the past and have made remained quite close. So I'm glad we finally uh, got a chance to do oh, this today. A pleasure as well. Great fun, Dave. You're one of the good ones. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. So um, I think the the first place I'd like to start is just um, kind of getting a career background or a career backstory of of how you got started in the newspaper industry and and what your experience was like one of the profound changes in the business is that that there was sort of a it was almost like a baseball minor league there was like trip there was a ball and there's double a and triple a and now they're the majors and so my ascent was just that way so i started at a little weekly newspaper six years in glencoe uh, ontario which is just nothing there, nothing, nothing, except a newspaper and, and about 1,500 people. And at that time, you could go there and you could be lousy for six years, and, and I, I certainly was. And then I got hopefully a little better, and then I went to a, a newspaper in Woodstock, a small newspaper, a daily newspaper, which was really sort of a big jump. And then I just started working my way up. It was really a traditional apprentice in every sense. You went to a bigger, more um, powerful uh, a more prestigious place and, and you got better in your trade and hopefully, and then you finally made it to the big leagues if you, if you were lucky. And I guess I was lucky. So, uh, so it was really a, a long apprenticeship, you know, about 15, 15 years just to kind of get where I wanted to a different app that exists today. Today, those papers really don't exist in anything but name. And the, you know, the, the place where you won't get the, the, uh, the like say the Toronto star, have had say five people covering the Leafs so four people covering the Leafs which was my goal covering the Maple Leafs which I got to but at the time would have had five people now they have one and uh and they you know that paper was sold for 50 million dollars which 60 million dollars for Nord to Nordstar which really probably doesn't even cover the state so they lost 20 million dollars that was their last uh, quarterly uh, loss report and, and their losses could be significantly, are significantly more than that. The industry looks really dark. And uh, this is how what the progress looks if you're on the wrong side of the disruption equation. 
Yeah, and that's definitely something we're going to dive into deeper uh, in a little bit. But I guess just to get a sense of of your background and and how you evolved to be covering the Toronto Maple Leafs, what when you first got into the industry back in Woodstock, what were you writing about? It yeah. was everything. It was everything, 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 which was a great uh, sort of a apprenticeship. So you learned to be a cop reporter. You learned to go to council meetings, which were you know as exciting as it sounds. Public Utility Commission meetings. Boy, you can't beat a good PUC meeting. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I was lucky to avoid some of the really hard ends of it because uh, sometimes you have to go to cover very, very sad things, car accidents and people passing on. And so that was one part of it I never really wanted to do. I was lucky I didn't have to do a whole lot of it. Uh, but education journalism is a, is a lousy place to be right now, but a great place to be from. Really um, a dynamite place to because really when you're a journalist, you learn that you can ask anybody anything. And that's not a secret, and that's true of everyone, not just journalists. Uh, one of the remarkable things about the business is that you find out how people will always answer your questions. It doesn't matter if you have a press pass or not. If you go up to someone you're interested in and, 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 and display, obviously, courtesy, and more than a passing understanding of their business, anyone will stop and talk to you and explain how things are. Anyone, it's just human nature. Did you find it to be a challenge uh, working in a small town where everybody kind of knows each other and, and you know, you're cognizant of the stories that you're writing about particular people and the, and, and the pushback you may get from that? Did you experience a lot of that uh, working for a small town? You know, it's funny. Uh, my greatest memory of this little town of Woodstock was there is a, a young girl. Her name was Tracy Knight. And she... Every little town, every year or so, has a shining light they send out into the world. You know, it's that girl that was the homecoming queen and the lifeguard, the head lifeguard, and and the girl that that everyone sort of the high school knew and looked up to. And her name was Tracy Knight. Thank God, this is many years ago. And, and Tracy Queens, and she got in the back of a motorcycle, and she was gone within two weeks of her leaving. And that little town was devastated. And I walked across because we delivered our own newspapers. And I walked across and delivered the newspapers to the, to the little Nectals uh, grocery store there. And that place just stopped. And everybody was reading the newspaper. And I realized then that this was actually a really, really important job. I might have been making $185 a week or whatever it was. But I was that conduit to that really, really tough story. And so... Um, at this time, every little, like if you had 40 people in Middlemiss, Ontario, they had a correspondence or every little social thing was picked up in the paper. So it really was community in the truest sense. When I started in the business, little newspapers were called community newspapers and they were truly, truly that. The, the community was a geographic term, not a social one. It's interesting because, I mean, now it, it, it's all about being a social one. Like Facebook alone, like you probably see this on Facebook where there's such an emphasis on groups. And that's essentially what Facebook's trying to do is trying to bucket everybody into these little groups, whether it's the Milton mummies or the Guelph dads, or whether it's, you know, um, Toronto Maple Leaf fans, whatever it is, like, that's all they're trying to do is just trying to pigeonhole groups of people now. And it's quite effective because really it's, it's, it's filtering out all the noise that people see in the newspapers or in their news feeds all day long. And it's, you know, segmenting the things to people in, in terms of what they're interested in, which I think is important. And Jay, that's a really great point because that's really how uh, an area that Facebook has strived and where, you know, legacy media, um, as it's called now, cannot compete. There's just 
it's just not a fair fight in so many ways. And that's, that's a great example. So if you look at the athletic, the athletic as a sports uh, uh, website, it costs like 11 bucks. And there are four people writing about the Leafs with, uh, with video. I want to find out what's going on in Minnesota. There are four people writing about uh, the hockey team. There are four people writing about the football team. Uh, there are national colonists. There are the cream of the crop. They're available to me every day. If I want to find out what's going on with the Maple Leafs, I can go to Pension Plan Puppets, which is a free service, or or I can buy the Toronto Star, which will have one story. It's that segmentation of interest, and Facebook, of course, has pioneered it, that has changed the media landscape so much. And you know, it's not it's not progress is neither for the bad nor for the good. It, it just is what it is, as they say. No one in neighbors was crying when they were putting somebody else out of business. It's just the way it goes. Do you have a sense of how this came to to be because i mean like how how was it that it's an industry and some of the biggest companies in our country like the toronto star were so oblivious and weren't able to adapt and be the leaders in what is the new media i i just i just don't understand because like they would they not have had every resource available to them to be able to do that was it ignorance what is your sense well, I don't think it was ignorance. I think we knew that this was a, a, an industry that was in, in great difficulty in peril for years and years and years and years. So what I don't understand is, I mean, yeah, Facebook came about, provided a free platform for, for people to post news and post whatever they want for free and, and become basically their own media uh, outlet. But right. I mean, agencies like ours exist. And we're going after the exact same clients and the exact same customers that the Toronto Star would be going after to basically yeah. take their business and start advertising for them on digital. Why would the Toronto Star or any of these other big companies like Metroland Media not have seen that or not have done that? And I see them doing it now, but even still, like they're so far behind yeah. with so much money and, and opportunity. I just don't get it. Can I add to that uh, before you hop in there, Mike? Um, yep. In addition, to that, I, I have seen ads from the National Post targeting me to try to sell me digital marketing programs and courses. So there are some newspaper, news outlets that are trying to leverage digital in a different way and trying to be unique with their approach to the market. Um, however, I think there was a huge opportunity missed here because you have the likes of, of resources like the Huffington Post and you know there's online sources that aren't as reputable as the Toronto Star, that the Toronto Star has this platform with this reputable name that they can put stuff out there and people will believe it, that if they were able to conform to digital, and like David said, and partner with a company, um, you know, a digital marketing company, it, it just would be a huge opportunity and be able to provide that value that their clients are looking for. The biggest news sites are Yahoo News. It has 175 uh, unique visitors every week. Google News, CNN, The Huffington Post. Number five is the New York Times. So the mighty New York Times has 45% of what Yahoo News has. And there's a lot of smart people at the New York Times. <laughs> and, and if there was anyone that was going to figure out how to make this thing run, it would probably be the New York Times. I don't think it's, it's that we didn't see it coming. There was just no solution to it. You, if your commodity is... is so here, here's kind of the way newspapers always work. The, the cover price of a newspaper only covered the paper and the ink, right? There was no way that that covered the actual expense of having reporters and, and you know, all the other attendant expenses. 
So, but they had all sorts of revenue streams. They had, you know, uh, they had uh, classified ads. Classified ads, you know, was really lucrative, right? What's the classified ad of choice today? Kijiji, right? With Craigslist, it's Kijiji now. Okay. Oh, yeah, you lost that. Okay. So what about display advertising that's targeted? I mean, newspapers are by nature not targeted ads. Okay. So what's the other commodity we have? Well, we have news. Hmm. Okay. But people don't want to pay for news anymore. So we all have all these free websites. Oh, how about opinion? Oh, man, there's opinion everywhere. You can't go anywhere without getting an opinion. I feel there's just a massive pivot that would, would have needed to happen at the Toronto Star to become that type of a model and replicate that type of a model. You have the likes of companies like Lennox who have been building air conditioners for, for over a century that have, have had to evolve with the times and recreate new products and, and change and let go of the past and the past, past methods of doing things, but they have the name. People, it's not that matter of the name. People need the, people need air conditioning. <laughs> no one has invented something other than air conditioning. Like if there was a little box that came in and filled your house and was the size of a shoebox, Lennox would be in deep, deep shit. <laughs> but they're not because it doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, it's it. Well, people do need their news, right? People do need their news and they don't just need any news. They don't want fake news. They want news from reputable sources. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the other thing is though, because what happens in any business is when your profits go down, what do you do? You begin to, the body begins to eat itself, right? You stop, you stop, you cut yourself back to stay in business. So you stop cutting off your limbs. So as I mentioned, whereas the Toronto star used to have, you know, four or five people covering the Maple Leafs. Now there's one guy who's on the beat, you know, and, and so, and even, so let's just go that for a second and even how that's been impacted. So your other news, news forms, say like TSN, which didn't exist, you know, when I started TSN. So they, they, they need pundits, right? They need opinion guys. So most sports reporters are working for TSN and the Toronto star. Dave Festchuk works for both. Steve Brunt's, you know, who's a, just a wonderful writer, you know, he quit the Globe and Mail 15 years ago. And we all sat around going, Steve, what the hell's wrong with you working at the Globe and Mail? Why would you go to Sportsnet? <laughs> well, guess what? Steve, as always, was ahead of the curve. So even they poached even the people that, that get pretty good at newspapers, they still poach them and turn them into pundits. So even getting talent is, 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 is their ability to do that has been decimated as well. So not only do you have the revenue stream under assault, but you have the talent, which is your commodity, you know, going to work for everybody else because that's where the money is and that's where the growth is. And now a word from our sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Fresh Crowd. Fresh Crowd is a full service social media agency in Canada that specializes in everything social, from management to community building and advertising. Fresh Crowd can help your business attract a fresh crowd of people. Visit freshcrowd.com to find out more. Transitioning a little bit, because you did reference earlier the uh, the Toronto Star, this Toronto Star sale, which uh, was how you and I got on this topic the other day, because I had been talking with my dad about it. And uh, yeah. just for context, the Toronto Star recently sold for $52 million to yeah. uh, a, a private company run by two successful entrepreneurs. And yeah. I'll let you kind of share your thoughts on, on one the the $52 million valuation. Um, and then two, you know, they're planning to take this company, the company private. So 
I mean, is there a chance that the company be, can be saved? Like what, what are these guys thinking that they're going to be able to do with this big monster? Well, it's, it's lovely that it's been taken over by people who aren't from the newspaper business. That's the first thing. Um, but it said, sounds like they want to preserve the same values and the same, you know, processes. You know, I mean. Well, the star is an interesting beast. The star was uh, founded in, in the late 1800s, 1892, I think, because it, it was a strike newspaper. It was published during a strike at another newspaper. And it was always, uh, from its first days, a liberal left-leaning newspaper. And. And it was called the Atkinson uh, um, principles, and those were social justice principles. And the, the the Atkinson principles were sort of enshrined. And when they sold it to the five families, which sounds kind of sinister. What's the background on this company? Uh, are they just are there entrepreneurs, investors? Are they invested in other digital assets, uh, David or Mike? Do you guys know? Just from doing the research that I did, I didn't I didn't get any sense what the plan, what the company was. Are they still going to be producing print? Are they going to move more to to you know, digital, I, I got no sense of it, just that they were going to maintain these Atchison principles um, yeah. and that they, you know, they love the the reputation that the Toronto Star has and they want to be able to pre preserve that and blah, blah, blah. But it just, yeah, like I just, you know, it's it doesn't make any sense to me, even though it was pennies on the dollar, as you referenced before. Yeah, I mean, the people... So when KW Record in the in the in the Spectator was up for sale, it was it the uh, the offers that were made were way 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 past the, the sixty million dollars. I mean, um, it's one Young Street is worth sixty million dollars, which is the headquarters. It could just be a real estate play, because if you have a building in you know, so the Spectator building here in Hamilton was sold for twenty million bucks. You know, think about that for a second. They sold the building for twenty million bucks. <laughs> they sold yeah. a car. And seventy different publications and six different newspapers in Welland, Niagara Falls, Peterborough, Kitchener, Waterloo, Hamilton. I think I'm forgetting one. And and so maybe it's just a real estate play for these guys. It could very well be whatever it is. It, it's it is pennies, as you say, David. It's pennies on the dollar, and it's uh, it just really speaks to where the where the business is now. This is progress. This is the way the world works. It's. Uh, as I said, no one, you know, um, everyone in Alberta is crying about the oil industry, but nobody in Alberta was worried about the cod fisheries. And the, and the fishermen in, in, in Atlantic Canada weren't worried about Ontario's manufacturing sector when it went down the tubes. As you guys say, it's adapt or die. But I, I think if, just because you're dying doesn't mean you didn't try. That's that's a good point. So, I mean, what's, what's your best guess on when you think newspapers are going to cease to exist entirely then? We, we, we talk in five years, we talk in 10 years. I mean, are some of the big ones still going to remain, but all the little guys are going to go out? What, what do you think? I don't, I don't see them uh, really existing in anything other than online form. And then uh, they can't, they can't charge a paywall won't work. Uh, the New York times can do a paywall, right? But clearly the Toronto can't. Um, it's just, if, if uh, it's, you have to become uh, a new service. You, you're so right, Jay. The only thing you really have left, is the banner. So exploit the banner and find a way to create uh, space in the digital landscape uh, and, and find an innovative way to, to use uh, in terms of a newspaper delivered to your door. Like I say, two by 2025, 2030 maybe it is, uh, two out of every hundred households will take a newspaper. I mean, way more households than that. I think all of us is alive. 
It's crazy. It's crazy to think that one day I may tell my grandkids I used to deliver papers for the Toronto Sun and they're going to be like, Daddy, Granddaddy, what are you talking about? I'm not responsible for the decline in newspapers, by the way. I like to think that it wasn't just me, that I was in business that drove itself into the ground, that there are other factors other than me. But the facts may speak otherwise. How has Mike Ulmer adapted to the situation? Oh, that's such a, that's such a really interesting question. Um, because really, in a sense, I'm sort of that story in microcosm. Uh, it's very easy to me, for me to speak in broad strokes. But so when I worked for a newspaper, this was my life. The analogy I always made was that I was like on a desert island, and then a plane would fall, fly over, and they would drop a parchment in a bottle with a pencil and a cork in the end of it. And I would take fish the bottle out of the out of the water, and I would write whatever I wanted to write on it. I'd stick the pencil and the, and the pressure back in there. I'd stick the cork in the end. I'd throw it into the into the sea, and then I wait for the next plane. <laughs> and of course, nothing could be further from the truth now. And so I'm sort of the accidental entrepreneur, and it's taken me years to sort of figure out what it is I want to do. And I, I like what I'm doing very much right now. But like anyone, it's a really interesting adjustment. You have to develop a whole new set of skills. So what I'm doing now is I'm operating a, a book writing service, and I've written a lot of books. So um, for small for small businesses, for uh, say business coaches and stuff like that, we can write them a five thousand word book for five k. Uh, there's a lot of people who want to um, uh, give a gift to their parents in terms of um, uh, a legacy gift, something that they can they can show their kids and their kids' kids. And that company's called Forever Books. And I run that with a partner as well. And um, another avenue of, of books I'm doing is, is the books with people who, who have a great story to tell and have lots of social media. And then what happens is I help them write the book and then they choose charities and the sale of those books go to those charities. So the person gets to write, tell a great story, share it with the world and share it with their family. Families and the, the, the charities are the benefactors out of that too, beneficiaries out of that. So, so the question is really a great one. The first thing I did is I went to work for the uh, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, and I worked there for seven years, and they were wonderful to work for. But boy, when you reinvent yourself, like you guys are young, I'm like sixty. I'm so old. <laughs> it presents real challenges to someone who's not in your cohort to be uh, engaged and to uh, love what they're doing and to not resent change, to embrace it. Because my skills are very unique, but the ability to string together a sentence and to uh, weave a cogent theme through 10,000 words is one that most people don't have. And so in a way, my skills are now more in demand than ever. So I kind of want to hit that rabbit hole just for a second, Mike, in terms of, let's yeah. say I'm a small business owner and yep. you know, I want to position myself as an authority. And one of yep. the ways to obviously do that is to write a book. So what yep. maybe you can, you know, without going, this podcast episode is not about, you know, for publishing or writing a book, but what are those first initial steps that, you know, a, an entrepreneur would need to do if they want to write a book? Writing a book is hard. It's, it's, uh, and the, the, the thing about writing a book is that the book that you write, the one thing you know is that the book that you you end up with is not the book you started to write. And every book is a life form on its own that you uncover. You don't create it, you uncover it. And you do that through thorough self-examination and looking at what worked, what didn't work. But it's hard. writing is really hard because as soon as you get better, you realize you don't want to do the thing you just did. 
So that means that you have to be better at what at, at it. And so you can never cheat the reader. So it never gets easier. It only ever gets harder. You get better, but it only ever gets harder. And the process of, of being honest with yourself uh, and then having someone critique the work, fix the work, edit the work, it can't have anything wrong with it. I like it. No, that's great. That's great advice. And I mean, um, I think books for the most part will continue to remain a popular uh, source of, of media in the written form, but I could be wrong on that. But I think, yeah, I've, I've definitely given some thought to it, but uh, it's from what I hear, excruciating and uh, it takes a lot of time and it's not easy. And um, actually we were talking about this the other day at my BNI meeting, ironically about basically having a book and how it can separate you from everyone else in your industry. Because essentially the example was you have three real estate agents, two of them say, um, you know, let me list your house on the best real estate agent. But the one says, well, I'll list your house because I wrote the book on real estate. And he wrote a book on real estate and, and that per person ultimately got the contract or the listing for that, for that customer. And it was because he positioned himself as an authority because he wrote the book on real estate. He may not be the best real estate agent in the world, but he wrote a book on it. And so he is perceived as that, I guess, was the story. So my business is helping people write these books, I should say. And, yeah. uh, and thanks guys for, for the plug uh, that I know mm -hmm. you're going to, on the Facebook page. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, the thing is, when you write a book, though, you have to reach a conclusion. You have to create a process. You have to self-examine what it is you've been doing and distinguish what makes you different. The commodity is, is the process that you created, formalized, put down on paper, printed, and passed, you know, passed out to other people. Well, Mike, we, uh, we've had a great time chatting with you today. Like Jay said, I mean, we'd love to have you back on and maybe dive into some more of this uh, book writing uh, nonsense. But uh, for, today's, for today's topic, we've really enjoyed uh, hearing from you and your perspective. So what's the best way that people can get in touch with you if they want to write a book or uh, learn more about anything you've said today? Well, my, uh, my website is getcatapulted.com. Uh, you can reach me at uh, Mike at ulmerd.ulmer.ca if you want to go text or old school, Microsoft, uh, rather, uh, Facebook Messenger works as well. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I have days open. I'm, I'm spoken for on the 19th of August with two really good guys. You're going to give me help with something. But other than the 19th of August, I'm pretty well free. And that's, that's getcatapulted.com, right? Yeah, getcatapulted.com. Love it. Awesome. awesome. Thanks a lot, Mike. Well, we uh, we end every single episode with the with the same question, and that is, if you could choose one person, dead or alive, to represent you and your brand, who would it be, and why? Uh, it would be uh, Jackie Robinson. Mm, good one. Because, um, Jackie Robinson uh, obviously um, was a courageous man who had to be uh, a better man uh, than his critics. And, uh, and that's the, uh, I think that's the measure of the person. Uh, there are many phrases about critics, uh, uh, but uh, to, to, you know, to rise above that and, and to fight an unjust them and to somehow keep your dignity and your comportment and let mm -hmm. your ability shine through. Uh, uh, you know, anyone can be a dick. Uh, it takes something incredible uh, to be a giant. And Jackie Robinson to me was a giant, so I would put my name beside his uh, with great uh, enthusiasm, although it doesn't belong there. 
As Great would I. Answer. Yeah, Great answer. That's, that's awesome. Perfect. Well, uh, thank you again, Mike. We really appreciate your time today, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. It was great fun. All right. Awesome. Mike Almer on today's episode of the Merge Marketing Podcast. Um, you know, we went down a segue there. Um, we just touched on it, but I really want to dive into that in a future episode, really, you know, creating that book. And I, I think we can really dive into it with Mike. He brushed along the surface talking about, you know, print advertising and newspaper advertising and the inevitable demise of newspaper advertising, um, which is important. It's important to know. And, and it's crazy how quickly we're evolving that way, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, you you heard it here first, the prediction 2025, five years from now, no more newspapers or at the very least, maybe one or two. So um, we want to thank everybody for tuning into the Merge Marketing Podcast again. Uh, we're sorry for some of the technical difficulties, but in the COVID world that we're currently living in, this is how it has to be. So thanks a lot for putting up with it. Until next time, take care. Hey, rate and subscribe while you're at it.